Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we ask, why do the Fireflies have to die so soon? I'm your host, Jeff uh-huh. Grizzolrich. I know, sorry, guys. This is a heavy one. <laughs> it's a bummer. I'm your host, Jeff Grizzolrich, and I am joined, as usual, by my two wonderful co-hosts, Hugo Panay and Josh Bradley. How are you, Hugo? Uh, depressed, uh, but great. How about you? <laughs> and, you and you didn't even rewatch this movie. Again. I didn't. Even re- I just just I watched it last week and just thinking about it just made me sad right now. Um, I was okay before you made me watch think about this movie again, but I'm uh, you know we'll have to deal with it, I guess. And uh, and Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm actually doing all right because I uh, I watched this on Friday and then on Saturday I watched No Country for Old Men as a palate cleanser, <laughs> which is not a happy movie, but but it, it cleanses my palate in this case. Yeah. <laughs> What a what a nice upbeat flick that you chose. Yeah, for your yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you didn't read the name of this episode before uh, listening to it, uh, we are discussing the uh, uh, Aizawa Takahata animated film *Grave of the Fireflies*, uh, which is uh, you know just just a real bummer of a movie, but it's brilliant, yeah. and that's why we're talking about it. Uh, but as always, we are going to get into what we've been watching since our last episode. And I will go ahead and kick it off with Hugo. Okay, so um, I had a weird week. I, I watched some movies that have that, that have very little to do with each other. Um, I watched Us, because I was, you know, bummed mm. out that Nope is unfortunately not going to be in theaters at a time where I am in this country. Um, they were like, hey, should we release this in Italy? And they were like, nope. I mean, no, no, no. They are releasing it, but they are releasing it when I'm not here. So okay, I okay. I'll f- maybe I'll get to see but it. That didn't matter for but... my joke, and that's the important thing to me. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sensitive about this, anything. Okay? Anything for the bit. Yeah. Uh, so I watched the movie Us, uh, which was great. I thought it was pretty great. It. I think it. It's not as good as for me, at least, not as good as Get Out, just because it's doing so much more, and I don't think it completely nails it with everything. As I um, recall, that was, was largely also, the consensus on that movie. Um, but I still thought it was really great. Um, I think there's also some things where, like, it's referencing some campaign that happened during the Reagan era in 1986, and I'm like, I don't know. Hands American, across America. Yeah, I don't know American history to that extent. So I was like, oh. For the record, neither confused. did I. That was that was before yeah. my. That was a pop culture touchdown. I found that very times. confusing, I like... and I just kind of wasn't sure what. And like, and even after I read about it. I wasn't completely sure what it was saying with that particular aspect of the movie, but overall, I I really enjoyed it. I think the social commentary of it, of just like, if you make it in this world, um, there's somebody who's kind of suffering for that. Um, And the way that it's trying to create a world where that's very literal, I think was interesting. Um, Also... Well, the Hands Across America thing was a campaign to... I think help raise money for homelessness, if I remember I right. I think that's yes. correct. Because I had to, I had to read yeah. up on it. So, like, you know, you just mentioned the theme of, like, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And, like, that is a well-meaning but ultimately meaningless gesture mm-hmm. to help homeless people, basically. But, you know, so I think that's kind of how it ties in. Yeah. Me, at least. But, like, at the same time in the movie, it's, it's the have-nots who are doing it. And it's like, hmm. you know what I mean? I, I get it, but I also don't fully have a grasp and there's also like also the idea of wall imagery in you know 2019 america is that there's something that might he might be wrestling with that too but i'm not sure regardless of that i thought it was amazing i thought 
particularly Lupita Nyong'o, was so, so, so excellent in this Outstanding. film. Outstanding. Outstanding, like, yeah. It's one of those times where I'm like, I cannot believe this didn't get an Oscar perform- an Oscar nomination, and, and I wish she did. As uh, as you guys know, I'm a big uh, scaredy-pants crybaby. Uh, is, is this a particularly scary film? I think you'd be fine. I okay. think you'd be fully... I watched Get Out. I, I survived watching Get Out. Yeah, so I... like, I think Get Out is is basically on par with this. Uh, okay. And I actually think there are a few moments in Get Out that actually got me a bit more. Um, I think I think Us is actually the scariest of his three movies, mm. but like not by much. And yeah. it's also not that scary because Grizz, I, I also identify as a weenie. Yes. One of the scary <laughs> movies. And uh, I was okay with, with Us. Yeah, and it's also like, it's his. I think his way of doing horror is doing something that unsettles you but mm-hmm. it's not Very much so. you know it's not things jumping at your face and, right. and weird demonic crap and that kind of thing so i think you could i think the social commentary is so interesting that it it works even if you're a little scared of horror movies in general then i watched a famous b movie ricky o the story of ricky which is i don't know why i just happened to feel like i guess i'm watching this i saw like this is this youtube channel in italy that was like doing a review of this whatever it's um one of those like hyper violent exploitation movies it was made in 1991 it's it's like a martial arts film set in a prison where he this guy ricky is basically invincible but he has to go against these these uh, weird bosses inside the prison and it's very violent very stupid like and because of that worth watching and kind of fun um after that i did a rewatch of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 i don't know why just kind of was in the mood that movie's great it's i think it's it gets better every time and i think it might be the marvel movie that gets me the most in terms of of feeling and having like an emotional reaction to what's happening you do love a dad movie i do yeah it's (laughs) i really like that one and i just think also visually it's maybe the most interesting marvel film visually i think it looks great i think the cinematography is like trying to do cool stuff which they don't always do and it's one of the things that sometimes i have a problem with that with them um Josh, yeah, have either of you seen have either of you seen Lindsay ellis's video essay on gardens of the galaxy volume 2 no Lindsay, it's good i i probably have but i because i do follow her but i i yeah. i probably have seen it but don't remember specifically uh it's good. Know, it, it, it's kind work. of going along with what you just said, where she's kind of like um, Marvel agnostic, but that is the yeah. one that like made her feel a feeling, to use her it's, words, and to kind of repeat what you just said, pretty much. Yeah, I think the two Guardians films kind of get lost in the shuffle of... Uh, because they're part of the this larger whole, I think they, they would be recognized as, oh, these might be some of the best sci-fi adventure films, you know, notwithstanding superhero genre. Um, I feel that way about Guardians 1. Guardians 2, I felt, leaned in a lot more into its MCU-ness. I don't know. Like, it's still... Like, there's still something about, you know, Dave Bautista coming out of gross goo of a monster with that is clearly practical that that there's a James Gunn-ness to it that I think is is unique. Yeah, and I... You know, in many in many ways, I think it doubles down on what... Guardians 1 is, is my favorite Marvel movie, but I think 2 is still... A top five MCU for me, and in many ways, it's and as a it's reminder, as a reminder, James Gunn, J- 
James Gunn went to my high school, so As a uh, reminder. I'm a big James Gunn apologist, <laughs> and Guardians 1 and 2 are both excellent movies, and they are excellent I enjoyed movies. them completely independent of the fact that I have any kind of personal connection to the filmmaker. I cannot wait for Guardians 3. Like, it's by far the, the Marvel movie that I'm most excited about at the moment. But he's got no parents left to kill, so how's he going to do it? How's he going to pull it off? I don't know, Peter He's got no more I mean, parental figures to kill. Other, other characters might have parents as well. We'll find out. Um, also, he said yeah, okay. it's the saddest one. Grandparents? <laughs> uh, kids from the future? Like, maybe, maybe. His kids come back from the future and they, and they get killed? You know, who knows? It, we don't know. We'll find out. Um, and also, last night I watched the Korean film A Taxi Driver. Not Taxi Driver, A Taxi Driver. Uh, starring Song Kang-ho. Um, and, wow, this movie blew me away. I did not expect to be so hard, hit so hard by this film. It starts out as like this... You know, kind of drama, comedy of this, you know, widower who buys a taxi and, and works a, 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 as a, uh, you know, as a cabbie to support his uh, daughter and becomes something completely different. And it becomes the real story of this massacre that happened in, in Gwangju, which is a city in Korea where basically democratic, there was a big democratic protest against the military dictatorship in the 80s and uh the, the military just fired on, on the crowd. And, and it kind of, it's from the point of view of this guy who takes this reporter from Germany inside the place. And this is a real story. We see actual footage of the actual reporter. And, uh, you know, did he manage to, you know, pull the footage that he made there and bring it back to the world and show what was going on in Korea? Um, blew me away. We, I was like, did not expect to love it this much. Fantastic movie. I really suggest it. If it's heavy, but it it's when was it, this made? Excellent. It's made in twenty seventeen. Also okay. recent. So, I've never, I've, yeah, quite. I've recent. never heard of it, but Song Kang Ho is like you know our guy. He you know starred yeah. Parasite and starred in uh, Memories that's, of Murder. He's that's a, how one I guy, one of Bong's guys. Yeah, that's how I ran into this film. It's like I was just looking at other Song Kang Ho movies on Letterboxd, and I was like, oh, Taxi Driver. What? That's an interesting title, and. You know, it has a 4.1 average. It has 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll give it a shot. I, I didn't even know what it was about. And it ends up being one average on, on Letterboxd? Yeah. That's very high. That's very high. And, and I'm surprised. Is it on the top 250? I don't think. I don't know. If it's not, that's right on the cusp. Yeah, of, it's on the uh, cusp. I think it's 4.1, 4.2 is, is on the cusp of getting on the Letterboxd top 250. It's, it's a great film. I really, really, really loved it. It's tough, though, so... Well, let's get a few more votes for it, some high ratings, so it'll be on the top 250, yeah. and then I will feel like I have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, well, well uh, Josh, what did you watch? Uh, I saw Nope in theaters, in the IMAX. Uh, missed it opening weekend, but went to it this past week. Um, it's really good. Uh, I get why some people are kind of not liking it as much. I think there's, like, a, a couple of key connections to make. Um between like the a plot and the b plot and if you can figure out how the b plot figures in the a plot then i think you're gonna like the movie and if you see these as two like distinct unrelated things then you're probably you probably don't really get what the movie's doing mm-hmm. um but i i'm not saying i completely get what the movie's doing but uh, i at least you know get that it's thought provoking you get that there's something some to thought, get so. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 um so i liked it um i, I don't think i liked it as much as get out well, that's that's a high bar, I guess. And I, I haven't seen Us since theater, so I'm not really sure how I feel about it compared to Us. But it, it, it's good. I thought it was very good. 
Uh, I rewatched Michael Clayton, and holy crap, what a perfect movie. Uh, I think if you've listened to this podcast a lot, I mentioned that I rewatched it like a few months ago, like several times. So I think it's like the third time I've watched it in like two months. And um, I have never I seen it. it at all. Well, man, it's really good. Well, I'm uh, just really, I'm just saying, really, maybe that's really a good, good option for a, a film to remember. And FTR, well, hell, man, yeah, I'll uh, I'll add to the list. I'll add to the <laughs> roster. Um, it's awesome. And then last night I just watched No Country for Old Men again as a bit of a palate cleanser, as messed up as that is. <laughs> but uh, No Country for Old Men is is weirdly comfort movie for me in a lot of respects. So you know. Makes sense. We're all our own people. That's another one that I need to rewatch because I, I only saw it once and I did not love it. And I know that's like a source of contention uh, with uh, with you guys. That's wild. Uh, uh, so I think that's one that maybe with uh, some age and more experience with film, you know, maybe I'll, I'll appreciate it more. Uh, and you know, so that, that's, I hope so. That is one that I, int- I, really I do intend so. to rewatch at some point. Uh, well, that's all. That's all I got, though. Okay. Would you watch this week, Grizz? Well, I've, I've this year basically. I've been doing. Actually, I guess it was uh, on on the day of Revenge of the Sith's anniversary. Uh, I decided I was going to start a chronological Star Wars rewatch, uh, including all the TV shows. <laughs> and what, yeah, when you do a rewatch, you do go. I do extra a rewatch. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's taken some time, uh, but uh, I did. Finish Star Wars: The Clone Wars and uh, watch uh, Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. Uh, they there's events in the last season of Clone Wars happen concurrently with Revenge of the Sith, so it's it's fun to watch those two together. Uh, then I watched Solo. Make Solo two happen. I, I think. Uh, no, stop it. I stop <laughs> I think it. that it, there's no. some interesting line. There's some interesting will, through lines will, there. Will if you're listening to this, no, stop it. Let's no, stop it. Should it. Happen. <laughs> Make it a TV series. I don't care. No, whatever. No. Make it happen. Don't make it a TV series. Do not. Don't make it a TV series. I, d- I don't want to see Han Solo ever again. Please. I'm good. Wow. Fake fan Hugo over here. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then because it was a chronological rewatch, even though I had just finished Kenobi you know, a little while ago, I rewatched Kenobi and now I've started watching Star Wars Rebels. Fun fact. the first y- You watched all this in a week? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch all of Clone Wars in a week. I've been watching that for, you know, weeks. But yeah, uh, I finished it sense. this week. Uh, uh, how's Kenobi as a binge? It's a, actually a really solid binge. Uh, I mm. thought uh, everything was more cohesive. The things that frustrated mm. me about some of the characters on my first watch, uh, I, I didn't have as much time to linger on them uh, when watching it as a binge watch. It's actually not, not bad as... as want to just go through quickly uh i was gonna say a fun fact though star wars rebels the first two episodes are uh on letterboxd as a movie so you can log it you you can log the first two episodes as a movie (laughs) uh and then uh last night i was hanging out with uh my girlfriend's uh sister and and her husband and he decided he wanted to throw in dark knight rises so we watched that hell yeah I, I do like that movie, and one thing that became very apparent: uh, my girlfriend is never going to watch the the other two. She's never she hasn't seen them, uh, and she's not going oh. to because why, why? Why would you do that? Why would you show her the the compromised third one Look, before showing I her didn't, the, the two good ones? I didn't make that decision, Josh. That was you know okay. Her, her okay. brother-in-law made that decision. Well, you done messed up. But she's not going to watch it because she could not get past 
uh, Christian Bale's face whenever he's in the mask because he talks with his lips sticking out. <laughs> so like, the the voice is funny, but for her, it was she just couldn't look at it. Like she kept looking away. It's, a, it's not what we say. It's what we do that defines us. <laughs> around this time, uh, around this time, comedian Pete Holmes released a series of videos on Funny or yes, Die. They're the bad man. <laughs> that he really, really emphasizes the lip thing, um, and I love those. They're so funny. I still, I still return to those from time. I to do time. too. Uh, shout out to Pete Holmes. The first one. Swear to me. Twenty million Sorry. views on that first Pete Holmes uh, Batman. Where were the other drugs going? <laughs> <laughs> he does. Uh, I... He does some great impressions in that bit. Dark Knight yes. Rises is a movie that when when I saw it in theaters. And I was, I guess, 16 years old. I was like, this is the greatest movie that's ever been made. I mean, and then I, I grew up a bit. I didn't like you know I mean? Bane's voice the first time. Like, I was like, I don't, what do you, I don't For get you. I don't get what I you're guess, doing here. I guess but... I saw it dubbed. So I wasn't even thinking about that, right? Because mm, in Italy, I, at the time, we didn't get English screenings at all. So I just saw it in dubbed with my so dad the, uh, and i was like oh my god is that a real plane to me for some reason i i got so fixated on the idea that they just dropped a plane out of the sky and it and it was a real plane i was like oh yeah my god, that's, that's pretty crazy cool. but <laughs> that's uh, cool i'm curious did the italian uh voice actor uh do a weird voice for bane i i don't know I, the only time i ever saw it in italian was that time in theaters so it, it's i don't know 10 years ago that's interesting because so i, I wonder like if he did a weird voice, would you even know he was doing a weird voice, or would you just think he has a weird voice? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know. Like, I would assume that it was because of the mask, but I don't know. I can't remember. Certainly Italian didn't... Bane's a good band name. <laughs> sure. Italian Bane. Italian Bane. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could try that, yeah. And you just show up. Mamma mia. <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> yes, brother. Alfredo I is make real. the pizza. <laughs> you you adopted the pizza, but I was born with the pizza. <laughs> Point is, I didn't mind B- Bane's voice this time. I actually, you know, I, yeah. I think Bane is a very interesting character, especially this um, rendition of Bane. Did you watch with subtitles? I did, which does help. We were yeah. watching with subtitles uh, for her dad to, to he's better right. at reading English than mm-hmm. uh, understanding it, so we watched that like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Dark Knight Rises is a good movie. It's yeah. not the best of that trilogy by any means, but it's a good movie. No. <laughs> yeah. It might honestly be one of Christopher Nolan's worst movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be, a, and it's a, still a, good. A high bar. <laughs> yeah, a high bar. But I, I might even say reality. that it is his worst movie if we don't count like following, maybe. I think following is pretty good, actually. Yeah, but like you know, like there's, it's very difficult to compare. Do, that's apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Compare those to, to yeah. the Dark Knight Rises. Okay, well, so we've been having fun, making some jokes, Italian Bane, yeah. great times. But let's get serious now. Let's cry. Italian Bane may make a reappearance in this uh, in this podcast <laughs> just to lighten the mood later on. Just to bring it back up, we'll do Italian Bane yeah. does oh, No Country and, for and, Old Men, and, and then they all die. <laughs> oh my God, Hugo! <laughs> Well, so now it's time to talk about... here, Italian Bane. <laughs> it's time to talk about Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, it was released on April 16th, 1988, and uh, if you're oh, keeping God. track at home, that is one day after I was born. Uh, and it's and my mom, anniversary with my girlfriend. Look at that. A big day Aww. for everyone. Uh, 
written directed by Aizawa Takahata, based on the novel A Grave of, Fi- of Fireflies by Akiyuki Nosaka. The film was originally distributed along with My Which Neighbor is, Totoro. Oh, by the way, the, the novel is semi autobiographical. Yeah. yeah, which, which is, is going to come up uh, yeah. later in my boilerplate stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this film was. this. We're in the boilerplate stuff, so, so some fun facts and things. Uh, the film was originally distributed along with My Neighbor Totoro because that was the only way Miyazaki could get Totoro greenlit. They, they thought having that movie tied uh with a double feature uh with grave mm-hmm. of the fireflies would uh, encourage students to go see it because you know grave of the fireflies is an educational film and uh that's the only way they can get uh, uh totoro greenlit which i think was very very funny uh, that's that's some emotional whiplash man yeah just well, to and see so, these back to back and so like i don't know why they thought this was a good idea because what actually resulted was that uh grave of the fireflies was frequently overlooked by uh many at its release because when they went to the double feature and Totoro was screened first, they were so happy with My Neighbor Totoro that they didn't want to stick around to be really sad about Grave of the Fireflies. So they left after the first feature. <laughs> and, like, my understanding was that they, they I mean, yes, they there was this green light thing, but they also kind of wanted to launch the studio. The Studio Ghibli was founded Correct. that year, and they kind of wanted to launch the studio with a big important film by both of, you know, what would be the most important filmmakers within that studio, right? Correct. Uh, and obviously it worked, uh, but, you know, Grave of the Fireflies is definitely uh, in the Studio Ghibli you know, mm. uh, pantheon is, is one of the more frequently not watched movies because it is so serious and does not fit the whimsical mo- uh, mood of the other popular Ghibli movies. It's also not Miyazaki either. Yeah. Correct. Not Miyazaki himself. Really. Well, but, you know, Takahata, and we'll get into this, you know, here later when we're talking about, but he, you know, has some very popular movies, and Takahata is very popular in Japan as well. Uh, yeah. But Hayao Miyazaki somehow rose to a, you know, I think, godlike I think status Mi- among animators. <laughs> I think Miyazaki also just kind of crossed over into the West a little more, starting right. in the early 2000s. But like, we, we've talked about this, but like he kind, he kind of exploded and became almost bigger than Ghibli itself in the West in some ways. Uh, I thought this was a fun fact as well, because again, this was for their big launch of the studio. Uh, there were animators who were working on both movies at the same time, and they, uh, in interviews, have said that they frequently got confused about which movie they were animating at the time, which I was like, how do you mix these up, guys? Well, but, like, to some extent, I get it, because there's so many scenes where it's just like, oh, beautiful Japanese uh, countryside. And right. Like, if you're going frame by frame with it, it's like, oh, what is this from? And a lot of sequences of, like, a young girl and her older yeah. sibling, yeah. you know? So... <laughs> but once you're watching the finished product, it's like, no, these are not the same movie. No. <laughs> Diametrically opposed, yes. Um... Uh, uh, so we always like to bring up our guy Roger Ebert uh, when he has things to say about movies, and he uh, considers this movie one of the most powerful war films, and included it in his great movies list in the year 2000, a list that we have referenced in previous episodes as well. Uh, also, it is included in the book A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, which gets updated you know every year, but it's it's been in there for that's a, a that's that's a good list. Time. I like that list. Uh, 
It's number 47 on IMDb's Top 250 and number 36 on Letterboxd. Uh, so just to give you a context, it's a very well-liked movie. Uh, mm-hmm. In Japan, they one of the movie posters, uh, some of the fireflies depicted in the sky were actually bombs falling, which was something that I think is interesting that they did not include that in the uh, English poster of the movie. They're, you know, in fact, there's on one of the Japanese posters, you can see there's a bomber up in the sky uh, in the background of, of that as well. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, for some reason for the Western audience, they decided that that imagery was, you know, I guess too dark. I don't know. Uh, um, but I think, you know, the West was who was sending the bombs, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So maybe it's just they just yeah. thought. I mean, it might be a you're, you're right. Too, yeah. So I guess like, that that does make sense. But like you know, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm, I'm I'm almost definitely in the minority on this. But I just don't think ignoring your country's oh, no, no, deeds no. does Absolutely anyone not. a service. So <laughs> oh no, it, yes, I completely agree with that. Of course, but like it from a you know marketing standpoint, I yeah. Maybe. I mean, I guess that does that does make some sense. Uh, okay, per I uh, an IMDb factoid. Uh, Director Aizawa Takahata repeatedly denied that the film was an anti-war film. In his own words, the film is not at all an anti-war anime and contains absolutely no such message. Instead, Takahata had intended to convey an image of the brother and sister living a failed life due to isolation from society and invoke sympathy, particularly in people in their teens and 20s. The reason I wanted to bring up this one in our our boilerplate stuff here is, you know, because... The theme of the movie is very important. It's something we always talk about in our shows, what the themes of the movie are. And so I, I wanted to ask the question, can a director be wrong about the message of his movie? Is the is the author dead or not, is the question. <laughs> I think the answer to that question is yes. He, he can be, I guess. And, you know, you can imbue whatever meaning you want to, but the audience may take a different meaning from it. Um but I also think he's he's right that this is a movie about like social isolation at the end of the day. But like what with the mechanisms of social 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 isolation like is is important. Yeah. And um, I think largely part of the takeaway, whether he intends it to be or not, um, it's interesting. I, I I'm reading this quote. I'm reminded of something that Francois Truffaut, the French New Wave director, once said, which is that. Um, Quote, some films claim to be anti-war, but I don't think I've ever really seen an anti-war film. Every film about war ends up being pro-war, mm. um, which is a, a, a quote I think about a lot, that basically every war movie is in its, in its own way. In some ways, glorifying war. Yeah. I think this is probably the exception to Truff- Truffaut's rule there. Um, I think this is pretty staunchly anti-war, but I also get get the director's point in that it's not like it's, it, um, it's setting almost, out to be a... Yeah, it's almost not about war, specifically. Yeah. 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 So it, it I don't it's like all stories. It... All all stories are a function of the world they're taking place in, right? Mm-hmm. So, in this world, there is a war going on in the background, and 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 sometimes, you know, very present in their day to day lives. But uh, that's definitely not the focus of the story, which is about the relationship between the brother and his sister, and the rest of the society and how they treat them. Yeah. It. Yeah, but like. How, how they're treated by society is, like, very much tied to the to situation the that yeah. the society is in at the time. 
And, like, every bad thing that befalls this brother and sister is also tied back to the current situation, which is war. Yeah. So, like, you can't you None can't of this happens it, without know? the war. So. Yes, absolutely none of it. None of it at all. Yeah. It's like the why of the social isolation matters yeah. to what yeah. the film is. Um, and I, mean, and so I, I, think I agree. You, you could make an argument that, is th- that the film is more comment- commenting more directly on, like, the this sort of militarism that was going on in Japan during the war and not necessarily on the war itself. Like, I, I, I think the film is very much showing how the situation of war is not just, oh, the enemy is evil and we are good and we're fighting for the good, but it's also showing how internally they get, you know, they become socially isolated because the people in their lives don't believe they are contributing to what, the the goal of the state is which is the war but like right. again it is impossible to divorce anything that happens in the movie from the war situation so i don't know well, and um, i wonder um the idea that it contains no such message which is what he says is, which is what he is said wild <laughs> I, I i wonder if there's something to do with for a long time after world war Two, and you know i'm sure some people still do it to this day they're you know the Axis powers, people frequently ignore or deny their nation's culpability in mm-hmm. in the war, and you know. So I don't know. Maybe there's some like societal pressure on the director to say it's not. You're speaking a war to film. Italian here, what are you saying, man? I was just gonna say, dude, you're talking to you're talking to a member of the Axis powers. <laughs> sorry, Hugo. Oh, I'm sorry, I called you a member th- of the Axis powers. This is Italian <laughs> Bane, and I'm back to tell you that we like to talk about the war here like, now. <laughs> But was yes. that was that always the Mussolini case? Mussolini reigned the trams on time. How? <laughs> Don't say that. Um, How long okay. after so, the war was it before um, people in Italy were Japan, talking about that? Okay, okay, okay. Japan and Italy are very different. Yes. Italy, uh, there was a liberation movement from within. Um, the the one when the troops from from the U.S. and and the Allies arrived in the country. Half of the country had already been separated from the fascist regime. So in some ways, what was built as a society post-fascism and post-war was heavily built on that idea of being anti-fascist and and anti-war. So I think it's a kind of a different situation compared to Japan. Japan was, you know, Japan was in it and... From the ashes of war came uh, the building of a society that politically as well wasn't even independent until years later. Like the US and the Allied forces had a very strong kind of uh, uh, influence on what would politically happen to the nation of Japan. So I think the way Japan wrestled with the war, because they they didn't get to get to the point where there was enough internal resistance that the regime was overturned from the inside as well as help from the outside but like there wasn't that as much as you know happened in italy i think the way war is treated there especially you know in the years post-war and in the 80s i think they the way they're wrestling with it now is already much more advanced than they did in the 80s oh for sure Um, and that's what i was saying like i don't think that's the case today but i was wondering if maybe when he kind of was created a situation and yeah when he was saying these things it is possible that it's just like it's very hard for them to for for them as a culture to wrestle with what happened in a way that that like the way the wind rises talks about war i think is very different from the way grave of the fireflies talks about war 100 percent is what i mean and you know the fact that the movies are 30 something year apart is is significant yes 
And uh, so I think, you know, like, I don't know for certain that he doesn't still feel this way, but, like, at least in the context of when the movie was made, I can see uh, a little more of a reason for why he would say what, you know, that that there is no anti-war message. I don't mean to say that, you know, but Takahata died in 2018. He was very old. Yes, yes. But, like, yeah. In fact, he was the only person on the production of the movie who had survived bombings. Yeah. Uh, yes. during World War II. So, you know, he yeah. this movie was very near and dear to Personal him. To him yeah. uh, and, as... and it is possible that the fact that he lived through it, maybe his point of view of what it was, was he was a child. And so for him, he's not, as a child, not thinking about the big political consequences of war and that kind of stuff. You're just kind of trying to survive in what the situation is. And maybe that's the point of view that he wants to present in the movie, which I think he does successfully. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so the other thing was that you mentioned earlier, Hugo, is is the author uh, still alive? And yeah. in this case, when the movie was made, uh, Akiyuki Nosaka, the original author, was uh, also in you know very much involved with the process of bringing this movie to production. Uh, uh, Nosaka, and I thought this was an interesting. During he said during an interview, and I actually read through most of this interview. Uh, he said that he felt that the story was a double suicide story. And apparently mm. in Japan there is a, a, a series of plays that are, you know, double suicide plays. And I guess we probably should have said there was a trigger warning. I know, I'm sorry, uh, you know, about that. But, you know, yeah. But yeah. It's uh, a sad movie. It's a sad movie. Uh, and so I wanted to see, like, you know, obviously, you know, spoilers for the movie. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. the, the the main character and his sister uh, both die as a result of malnutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this qualify as a suicide? Because in my it, mind, it, it's, it wasn't because you know society failed them. Is my perspective on it? Who who specifically though? Well, I mean, we're definitely going to get into that more. But, uh, you know, his aunt, the farmer. Uh... Yeah, well, I, I, I think one of my biggest, yeah, we can get into this later. I think one of my biggest, like, gripes with the movie, if I have one, is, like, the mechanism that, like, separated them from their aunt. Because they were they, they were being taken care of to an extent. They had a roof over their head. They had maybe less food in their bowls than they were, than they should have gotten, but, like, they chose to leave that situation right. and go live alone in like a, a bomb shelter by themselves. And that's what led to uh, at least one of their deaths. And then ultimately led to the second death too. So like, I, I, I question that decision because it, it did seem like a decision, not like a desperation. It, it was. I and we, I think that's interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hugo. I think we'll get more into it. Um, yeah. But the fact that the author of the novel obviously survived uh, this situation, which was, you know, however similar or kind of different it was from the film, it, I think, is significant. And it, it would shift the way he would look at the film itself. Because, in you know, you wrote, you wrote in the boilerplate, and I'm sorry for take, taking over the thing, but it serves to make my point. Like, he survived and he blamed himself for what happened to his sister. I think he actually lost two sisters, right? Uh, or, did, yeah. or just one i don't remember but whatever it like the 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 self-blame leads me to believe that his point of view would be well yes the situation with the ant was problematic and all that but the fact that when 
when you started noticing that she was getting sick, you didn't go back. Right. And the decision that he would consider, oh, this is my fault. And again, the self-blame was so strong uh, that uh, in later interviews, uh, the author, uh, Nosaka, had said that uh, the reason that he had written his own death into the movie was because that's how he wished it had happened. Because that's how guilty he felt about, you know, those circumstances. So, you know, it's like Josh says, and we're going to get into it more later, that there was a choice made. And so that's why, you know, he says this is a double uh, mm-hmm. suicide uh, story. But I also think that, and we've, we've talked about the impact of society a lot already, but there are circumstances that drove them. And, you know, did they make the right decision? No. But should they have ever been in that position to make those decisions? You know, yeah. that's another thing altogether. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so that's that's the, uh, the, the boilerplate stuff and some, you know, quotes and facts and things like that. Uh, the general premise of the movie, and I'll just go through it quickly, is that uh, Seita is a teenager in Japan at the tail end of World War II. Uh, he, at the beginning of the movie, he is tasked by his mother with getting his sister, Setsuko, to the shelter in town before the town is bombed. Uh, the bombing the air raid's be- on its way. The air raid's mm-hmm. on its way. And uh, the bombing begins, and the entire town burns to the ground. Uh, and, you know, Seita got, got his sister to safety, uh, but... Uh, He's brought to the local hospital where his mother is. As it turns out, his mother did not get to the shelter safely and uh, had suffered some very severe burns uh, during, yeah. the, during the bombing. Uh, soon after seeing his mother at the hospital, she passes away, and Seita and Setsuko move in with an, an, an aunt uh, who takes care of them for a time until she begins to take advantage of them to get more food for her family and a house guest at her house. Uh, and she continually treats them with more and more disdain until Seta makes the decision to take his sister and live in an unused bomb shelter, as Josh mentioned before, on the outskirts of town. Uh, and that's the setup, and the rest of the movie is about their time in that shelter and the steps that Seta takes to uh, provide for his sister. Uh, and, you know, as, as we've already said, it doesn't work out. They they, they both die. Uh yeah. But uh, so, general thoughts on the movie. Uh, is this your first time watching the movie? I, I know, Hugo, you watched it last week, you know, and you said you told us on our last episode that was your first time seeing it. And yeah. this was your first time, Josh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think? Uh, Who first? I, I think it's great. It's uh, I think it's very hard to deny that the film is just excellent. It's It's tough. Like, I think it's very, very tough to just sit through it. And I think the um, it, it's it's so real. Like, it feels like, oh, this... I'm, I'm sure there are thousands of stories that, that, that are this level of tragic that happened during World War II. And to some extent, you, as a film watcher, despite having seen, you know, a bunch of war movies and, you know, Holocaust films, like, it's... There's always, like, I think in most films, they try to at least put some not miserable spin on it. And this one doesn't, which is both, I think, its greatest strength. um, And in some ways, the reason why I'm like, I watched it. I think it's excellent. I think it's, you know, one of the great animated movies of all time. I I don't know if I particularly want to see it again, but that 
that is to some extent a testament to how powerful the movie is and how much it hit me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been on the watch list for a long time because it is it is frequently cited in you know a lot of online circles and not online circles is like you know a must see one of the one of the sadder movies you'll ever see. Um, and it is very sad. Um, there's also some very striking imagery in it. Yeah. Um, it was it was interesting though. Like, it was funny about not wanting to watch it again. So I was I, I pulled it up on Apple TV Plus, and you could rent it for a dollar or buy it for five dollars. And I'm like, well, it's extra four bucks. You know, watch it more than once. So I I you know I shelled out the extra four dollars to buy it, and like, I probably could have just rented it because I don't I don't intend to ever really <laughs> revisit this one just because like it's it's a pretty tough sit. Um, it's funny, like, uh, our, our friend and frequent listener, uh, TJ, texted me to ask what the next film to remember was. I told him Grave of the Fireflies, and I said, be warned, it's a tough sit. Um, and he said, because it's boring or sad? And I said, sad. sad. <laughs> it's definitely not boring. Uh, it's just very, very sad. Sorry, Grace, what do you well, got? I was just going to say, it's funny that you, you mentioned that you, you kind of regret having shelled out the extra amount to purchase it, because... <laughs> I don't I don't regret it. Regret's the wrong word. I know what you, you mean. You know. I know what you mean. Uh, the first time I saw this, the movie was not yet available on any streaming services, even as a rental. Uh, so it's pretty limited now. Even it's like, very it's limited. Not, you now. can't rent it on Prime. You can't rent it on. I think I think Vudu and Apple TV Plus were the, well, the only places rent you can rent it in the United yeah. States there, right now. There has to be some <laughs> weird rights thing because most I think most Ghibli movie are streamable now, right? Well, like even all in, the, in Italy, they're, they're all, all they're on, on HBO Max. They're all on yeah, HBO Max. However, okay, here they're all yeah. on Netflix. This one is not. This movie, yeah, this and this is another fun fact I probably should have included in the boilerplate, was not included in Disney's purchase of the distribution rights for the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know the circumstances for why, but I did read that it was not included in that uh, deal, uh, which could be why it's not available in the same streaming locations as the other movies. Uh, but So I really wanted to see this movie because I love Studio Ghibli films and, you know, of course, this was on all those lists that I'm always trying to complete. So I... It's on all the lists. So I purchased the (laughs) Blu-ray for this movie and it cost me $25. And, you know, this is only the second time I've seen it and this will probably be the last time I see it until someone tells me, oh, I've, I've never seen it. Will you watch it with me? And then I'll be like, maybe. (laughs) because it's it's that tough to to watch um it's devastating and you know that's very powerful and sometimes you know you need that as a a movie watcher you need to be reminded that not everything is fantasy uh Mm -hmm. and you know some of the stories that we're watching are are the truth for people and that there's a lot of power in that uh, and so I, I very much love the movie, but I, I'm, I'm with you guys that it's not one that I set out to watch over and over again. And when I bought the Blu-ray, I was like, well, this was probably not the best investment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Always good to have physical media. Always. Never, never a bad decision. Uh, have you guys seen other Aizawa Takahata films? I'll, I'll go ahead and start with Hugo. Um, I had not, and the reason why I have... Well, okay. So, the funny thing is, I watched a bunch of Heidi. Do you know what Heidi is? I don't. It Heidi is the TV show that Takahata... That kind of created Takahata's success in Japan before he was even at Ghibli or anything. Um, and I think Miyazaki was an animator on that before becoming a director himself. And 
for some reason, it was a huge TV show for children in Italy. I don't know why. And it's not even necessarily my generation. but Is it's it because like she few... lives in the Alps? Could be. I don't know. But all I know is, <laughs> I, without knowing that it was him, I have seen a lot of that TV show. And I think a lot of Italians, 25 and over, have probably seen a lot of it. And, and you know, happened to see one of the most, you know, well-regarded animators uh, of all time uh, a lot on TV without really knowing. But other than that, I had not. Like, this is the first one that I had seen. And, like, the reason is that I was actually uh, dreading kind of getting into this movie specifically, and I wanted to see his movies uh, for some reason. I was like, I kind of want to see them in chronological order because I had been meaning to get into his films. Um, So this gave me the excuse. I mean, I actually watched it before, but... You know, I just happened to, to get but into it for the first time. you do intend to watch more of I his definitely films. do. Yeah, I, I had been hesitating for a while. I, I mean, I've, I'd been meaning to watch basically all the Ghibli movies, and getting into him was... It took me a while because I knew how devastating this would be. Um, but yeah. Josh, had you seen any of his other movies? Uh, I don't think so. I'm, I'm looking now, and I, yeah, I don't think so. I can't imagine I would have so, under what circumstances. I've, I've watched all of the Studio Ghibli films, so... Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, so I have seen uh, several of his other movies, and it's very interesting. Uh, the Tale of Princess Kaguya is actually my favorite Studio Ghibli movie, uh, mm-hmm. and that's and that's uncommon for most people. To, that you know, one of Hayao Miyazaki's is not their favorite, but uh, I love Tale of Princess Kaguya. Uh, and then the other movies, though, Only Yesterday and Pompoko and My Neighbor the Yamadas are his other films that I've seen, and they are not near my top, like, at all. Mm. So it's, like, it's just very interesting that Grave of the Fireflies and The Tale of Princess Kaguya are so high on my list versus his other ones. He, Pompoko is weird, guys. It's uh, <laughs> about shape-shifting tanukis, which are, like, uh, like raccoons. Yeah. Uh, and they're in a lot of Japanese folklore, tanukis are shape-shifters, and uh, um, <laughs> they do some really wacky stuff in this movie and like they like kill people and stuff. <laughs> it's a weird movie uh, and then my neighbor the yamadas is like a series of shorts about a family the the yamadas and uh they are not great like they're they're okay but like they're very unique art style which is kind of cool but the the movie itself is like whatever <laughs> uh but yeah so th- th- that's my experience with his other films uh it's just so interesting how different this one is in comparison to the rest of what I've seen from him because a lot of them are very silly and, and are comedies and, you know, mm. this is just the furthest Not. thing from it. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll get into the actual story here. What do you think about the film's opening uh, with the reveal that Seta is going to die? Like he's, At the beginning of the movie, you see him die on, on the screen in, in uh, I believe it's a train station. Um, yeah. So what do you think about the movie starting with the reveal? You know, this is the day, I forget what the date is, but he says, on this date, September I September 21st, 1945. That's the one. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I was kind of expecting a misdirect of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, just because uh, it, it the, the first image is like, Seda like looking at the camera basically but he's kind of like bathed in like this weird red light and like he's kind of like watching himself crumpled in a heap at the train station and he says 
September 21st is the day I died. And, like, I, I thought that it might be building some kind of, like, um, reveal that that's the day that someone else died or, like, that was the day, like, yeah. his soul died or something like that. And um, I didn't I didn't think they were just going to literally build the fact that this is when, when he dies. And um, it's interesting that, like, the, the Wikipedia page, if you read the plot summary, it begins after this and begins with the scene where his mother goes to the bomb shelter and then the end of the Wikipedia page summary is this scene. Which made me think, was there ever a release where this was the last part of the movie instead of the opening of the movie? But uh, I guess not. This is always the opening. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of assumed that it was like building up some kind of metaphor. But no, it was uh, very literal. Yeah. He, he'd die. Yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way he, when I first watched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of ambivalent on it because I think, first of all, I... <sighs> I don't know, like, I, I expect, I, I always knew, watch, I think in some ways it sets you up for what the movie is going to be. And I think yeah. knowing that he's going to die, you're kind of prepared for, unfortunately, that it'll sister to die as well, which doesn't make the moment any less devastating, but it it is at least signposting, oh, look, look, this is... You're going to be feeling things while watching this, so I think in that sense it works. And I and I also like the conceit of the spirit versions of them to kind of sometimes in some sequences looking back on their own lives. And there's a, a one scene at the end that is just the spirit versions, which I quite like. But yeah, yeah so I, like that too. I think within what the movie is doing, I think it works quite well. I I do think that. Maybe one of the film, the only thing that I think is a bit of a shortcoming of the movie is wrestling with that sense of guilt that we've mentioned of the author. Like the fact that the author survived and felt guilty for what happened to, because it was his negligence. Like even if he was, whatever, 12. Driven to it by other circumstances. Driven to it by other circumstances. And he's a child too. Like whether he's 14 or whatever the age is, he's still a child. So he makes mistakes and. You know, we can understand him, despite the fact that, 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 that there is some culpability on his shoulders. And, you know, aside from the societal stuff, um, I think the movie doesn't manage to have that extra punch of of the guilt that he might feel. Because we know he's not going to make it either. So it's like, it becomes more focused on, as you say, Chris, the, the, the societal reason why they have been so ostracized and, and, and turned to living by themselves without knowing what they're doing. Um, but again, I'm ambivalent because I think those sequences where we get the spirit versions of themselves looking at themselves are some of the most mesmerizing and beautiful in the film. Um, and well, and it, yeah. it's interesting because like, I was like Josh the first time I watched it that I wasn't certain that it was literal. I thought there was a chance that this was metaphor uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole movie, I, you know, you do, I, you're not certain that it's going to end with his death. Uh, and so it's interesting, you know, that you you picked up on its being literal from the jump. Um, okay, so the next thing I wanted to mention was that this movie was originally supposed to be released in South Korea. Uh, mm. But the release was postponed indefinitely due to concerns that the movie somewhat justified Japan's role in the war. Uh, you know, the story is, like we said before, very much focused on, you know, Seta and Setsuko. Uh, so, I, 
I wanted to ask, do you guys think that there's that this does that at all? Or was that just, you know, I, I don't see how you can make that argument, honestly. Like no. I don't like it, the it, it, these two these two characters are living in a town that's being consistently bombed, but like that's just such like a it's kind of a background thing. Like it doesn't interrogate at all like what the conflict's even about or you know, I mean, we know it's World War 2, but like it that's you know never even like acknowledged i don't think and um and i think when we see characters who are kind of enwrapped in in the this idea of patriotic duty and fighting for japan it is not shown as a positive at all yeah so, i completely yeah. agree yeah, yeah i agree yeah and yeah. i mean i think i think what i think if anything this movie shows like the the human element to any kind of conflict mm-hmm. and like you could just as easily imagine that there are people in Korea going through this exact same exact same thing, you know. So well, it's, and, and, you and can it highlight some you can of make the a version of this movie for any country that has been in war. Right. So. It it highlights uh, some of the dangers of uh, blind nationalism and patriotism, and you know mm-hmm. that yeah. that you can become desensitized to things that you really uh, should be concerned about. Yeah, uh, and. Mm-hmm. And this is where my having seen A Taxi Driver, which is a movie set in South Korea in the 1980s about uh, a massacre done by the state, comes in. And 1980s Korea was a military dictatorship, very nationalistic, very anti-foreigner, anti-Japan specifically, but just because Japan had been an invading force in the past. So I think the reason why they wanted to censor uh, this type of story might not necessarily be because of the reasons that that they said you know, would have been said at the time and i also just think that any any mention of another country's people being virtuous in a situation of war would have been against the military propaganda of the state at that time so i okay. think i mean so that i i did not think about it in that context and that does make sense yeah. uh i think it's i because what i was interested in was you know normally when you hear about movies being you know banned or something like that uh there's a reason given and it's you can see in the movie how mm-hmm. they got that so like you know though i don't agree with it china you know refuses to play a lot of movies due to you know show, showing homosexuality and things like that mm-hmm. uh and you're like oh but you know that's why they did it and it's in the movie and you can see like yes there was yeah. a, a gay couple kissing yes i saw it happen uh, mm-hmm. In this movie, I didn't see anything that would that led me to believe that this was a uh, a pro Japan, you know, in World War II sort of thing, uh, and so it does make more sense with the context of uh, their them being, the 80s, yeah. being uh, the way they were in the eighties. Yeah, uh, the author of the book uh, saw storyboards of the movie and came to the conclusion that he didn't think the story could have been believably told in live action at the time. He had received many offers uh, for adaptations of the book, uh, and he had turned them all down until uh, Takahata came to him, and he said that uh, he didn't he that he didn't believe it was possible to recreate the. This is a quote: "It was not possible to quote recreate the barren, scorched earth that's to be the backdrop of the story." Uh, mm-hmm. Do you agree with that for the time it's made? Do you think that that has changed since? Uh, that it's not something that could have been captured properly in live action. I think it'd be tough to, honestly. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's there's some some striking imagery here and some upsetting imagery, and um, I don't know. It's hard to, hard to imagine it being as effective 
in live action, particularly in 1988. Or, uh, may, maybe it's different now, but it's hard for me to imagine. Or it becomes a situation where what you're depicting in live action it's so is so upsetting that this becomes one of those, you know, Salo-type movies where people know of its existence, but they might not even be willing to watch it because, because like, it's brutal realism i think i think seeing the contents of this film in live action would might just be too much i think the animation in some ways is capable of showing you something that is extremely upsetting without you know with with some level of artificiality that helps you get through it um so i don't know well, i, I, do I think, also thought I also, of... I also think like the stuff where you see the the just the barren landscape of the whole city being burned to the ground would have been in some ways hard to achieve in, in and that's what i was thinking of specifically film. was yeah. that you know that scene when they come over the hill and you see mm-hmm. the entire town has been burned to the ground uh yeah. i was thinking one that would be hard to do practically anyways uh, and certainly not without an incredibly large budget. You, uh, I think you would need a Hollywood blockbuster budget, which maybe a movie Japanese like this films of, of the time would, would not have. Needed. Well, and I'm not even sure if you were to like if, if this was a story reversed and it was like yeah. you know, the the you know the U.S. was making this movie. I don't think that they would invest that kind of budget in this kind of story. I'm not sure for for that. But, uh, yeah, and so I was I was wondering you know. It feels weird to me, like, for I think uh, the reason I like so much that it's animated is because if you were to do this practically, or even with special effects, like CG and all that, um, I, I feel somewhat, like, morally reprehensive about that. You know, there, there's something, like, it's creating a spectacle out of something that is so, so not, a, like, a, should not be a visual stimulation, right? It shouldn't be, I, I'm not, not visual stimulation, it shouldn't be a... Yeah. Uh, like a Michael Bay explosive, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. type of thing, right? It, it's it's not the sort would, of thing that you want to make too much of a uh, action I think movie that, out of. I think there is a way. I think there is a way to do this movie in live action, but it would be extremely upsetting, and it would be very hard, very very hard to to make happen. But okay, well, so uh, this is an animated movie, as we've been discussing, and uh, so to take a break from sort of the heaviness of the story, I did want to ask some about like, what do you think of the animation quality itself? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a big animation fan. I know Hugo's watched quite a bit and Josh is, you know, he's got his, his niche in the animation <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's very polite of you. <laughs> uh, but so what do you guys think of the actual quality of the animation itself? I'll start with, uh, we'll start with Josh. Why not? I, I think that it's fine. Um, uh, and I was, I was actually just reading a review by uh, James Birdinelli, um, that he kind of argues that it, it's like, kind of like mediocre is the wrong word, but it's not very flashy, mm-hmm. but like, it doesn't need to be. Um, and if, if, if you give me a second, I can quote from his review directly, uh, quote, if you, from a purely technical perspective, Grave of the Fireflies can't match any recent high budget American animated film for visual razzle dazzle, but that isn't the point. Uh, its language isn't purely that of artwork and drawing, it's one of emotion. The use of animation, because of its associations with innocence and childhood, encourages us to lower our barriers and open up to the experience. That makes the culmination all the more powerful. And uh, I agree with that. Um, I did say there's some striking imagery, and I'm thinking specifically of like the bombs falling from the sky that look like fireflies mm-hmm. as they as they drop, which is, I think, very much a ref- you know, why, the, why the movie's titled what it is. But... Um, I think there's anything that like kind of blew me away visually. 
uh, it, I agree with Birdnelli. It's more of an emotional experience. But I do like his point that the animation kind of makes you drop your guard a little bit because of our associations with, with kid movies. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, it is a movie about kids, but uh, <laughs> more grown up, I guess. Well, and it's interesting because it was intended as, like, like from their marketing perspective, they marketed it as a summer movie for kids to go see. As an, uh, educational breaks, type as an educational thing, right? type of thing. So it was made with the intention of having kids watch this movie, which, you know... That's brutal. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I mean, like, there's something to be said for that, that, you know, exposing children to the realities of the world, you know, but there's also, like, God, it's this is... This is heavy for adults. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know... So I don't know. I, I, I agree that the use of the animation, for sure, uh, lowers your guard uh, a little bit. Uh, emotionally uh, what do you think Hugo yeah I think the, the animation is 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 simpler than other things that we've we've come to expect from Studio Ghibli like it, if you compare it to Totoro that came out the same year it's obvious that that it's not going for that same type of just visual beauty that that film portrays there wasn't know? even one cat bus in this entire there was movie. no cat buses <laughs> what Right, like, but like Totoro in some ways is one striking image after another, and this is very much a more grounded, simplistic uh, portrayal of of what feels more real, and it's, and I think it serves the story. I don't think it needs to be more than it is. I do think there are some moments where having it being animated allows you to show himself looking at himself and the fireflies exploding and these bright reds that feel unnatural because they are supposed to be you know creatures that you know would you know they're spirits they're not real tangible physical beings um i think it 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 does the most out of what it needs to do you know what i mean it's it's not visually dazzling as josh is saying but but you know i I think that that is in large part because of their striving for realism. You know, yeah. Honestly, when you think of anime, and particularly one of the things that people think that they know about anime is that anime hair is always wild and, and brilliant colors mm-hmm. and it's very sharp angles and stuff like that. Uh, and even and in this... general, like, there's always, like, when you think of anime, you think of, oh, there's there's some sort of either sci-fi or supernatural element, there's bright colors over-the-top action, over-the-top outfits, over-the-top everything. Um, as a stereotype, it's, it's not always true. But, like, in general, right. you know, even most Ghibli movies ha- do have that, you know, supernatural element and that element of visual grandeur that this one doesn't. And uh, so I think that that's something that is another way that this subverts expectations mm-hmm. is that uh, everything in the movie is done in the most realistic way possible. The hairstyles are, you know very much the way they were in world war ii the clothes are all you know like it's it's all completely real because this is a a true story uh a mostly true story and uh i just i just love that that it uh is so unique in terms of its animation even within the anime genre i i what i really appreciate about this is is something that ghibli does quite often where they show mundane things just in animated form and the level of detail that they are going to do for that is always so impressive to me like for me the 
the string that he ties around his body so quickly and ties yeah. around her ankles that, that there's mm-hmm. those little moments of animation where I'm like, whoa, that's... When he Can you imagine the... how many frames it takes to do something so meticulously? It's... It's well, we're going to get more into, into that stuff here in a second, but I was also thinking an example of that is when he slices the pumpkin with the chopsticks. I, yeah. like, I'm like, you know, man, I, like, the tactile feel that I got from that, like, oh, yeah, that is what it feels like to slice through a, a bit of pumpkin. <laughs> it's crazy how in some ways 2D animation is able to give you that feeling that 3D animation has a harder time, I think. Has a harder time doing, doing it, for sure. Yeah. There are some things that in 2D look somehow more real than in very realistic 3D. And not to bury the lead, I, I don't think this is a perfect movie for me. Like, like my mm-hmm. rating is not perfect. And the animation is, in fact, the part that I, I, I you know, take off some points. There's moments where the facial expressions look bizarrely old for these mm-hmm. children. Uh, like there's yeah. Especially the little girl. Sometimes she makes faces I'm like... Wow, when did you become a ninety-year-old man? When, when, when did that? When did that? <laughs> and there's there are also, I think, some moments where it's just like noticeable. It is noticeable which part is just a still background and which part is animated, mm-hmm. which I think is just a budget uh, thing, not as and many a function frames. of the times. You know, yeah. a lot anime in general during that time that was very common uh, to yeah. have the still still backgrounds, and in you know Western animation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the still plate background, uh, and then you animate the stuff in the foreground. That's I mean that's the way it was done. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've already touched on it. Animation. Uh, uh, well, you know, sorry, we've already touched on it. But is the meaning of the story served or even elevated by it being animated? I think we've established here that yes, uh, yeah. it, it really is. And that quote that uh, Josh read a mo- moment ago uh, ties into that very well. And with my next point which was uh, animation is often associated with family-friendly entertainment. Is this, and so then I wanted to ask the question, is this too sad to be shared with children? You know, we, we kind of feel conflicted on that one, don't we, guys? <laughs> uh, Would you show this to your kids, yeah. Josh? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's hard to think about me having kids. <laughs> Would you show I'm, this I'm th- to your I'm cats? thinking about... Uh, I would not show this to my cats, no. Um... I do have two nieces. One is a four-year-old girl, and one's almost two. And like, I, I would hesitate to show this to them, especially because like the little girl in this movie does remind me of my niece quite a bit, which you know is is tough. Um, but also, you know, to James Bernelli's point, I think that's kind of the point is to, you know, use animation to get your guard down, and then show you something devastating. And also, I think Grizz, you kind of alluded to this earlier. It's interesting to like give kids. Um, if, if kids do watch this kind of give instill in kids like a, this is what war is like, you know, and not like, a the heroic aspect, but more the, uh, what it's like for people at home, the brutal not consequence actually fighting the war. Yeah. yeah. The brutal consequences. Yeah. The, the human element, the societal impact, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know though, man, it's tough. I, I'd probably, I certainly wouldn't show this to any kid who's like Sysica's age, yeah. for example. Um, and, uh, if I did, I'd give them a talking to you beforehand to make sure they knew what they were seeing. I also don't think that they could possibly into. grasp it at that age. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think this showing it to someone who is Seta's age, you know, a, a, a young teen, that is the age group that I think that this this movie would be most Im- yeah. impactful for, because it, it's I, so I much agree, about yeah. personal responsibility and not letting your own. Uh, arrogance or 
desires dictate you the way you uh, make decisions for other people. Uh, so I think, I, I mean, I will show this, or rather I will have my kids watch this someday, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to watch it with them. I'm, not, I'm done with this. I think done with this put sad them movie. in a room, put them in the room and they, you hear them crying and you just lock the door and leave them there. No, you're going to watch this. No. Um, I, in general, with, either with heavy themes or violence or whatever it is. I think it depends on the kid. I felt this way my whole life as somebody who saw some very violent films as a young person. Um, I think I was okay with them. I don't think every kid would have been okay with them. And it, it kind of depends, but I do think that there is an educational aspect to the film that I think would benefit somebody who's young how young is is debatable, and I think it depends on the individual. But it is very upsetting. I would not show this to uh, a kid who gets upset at uh, sad things. It's uh, interesting. A, it, you know, a it's, very it's empathetic child would be devastated by this movie. It probably wouldn't need it. Need it they probably you know wouldn't I mean? need this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I so yeah. uh, on, I mean... What are some of the more memorable or your, your favorite shots or scenes uh, in this movie? I'll go ahead and start with some of the ones that I wrote down. We already mentioned it, coming over the hill and seeing that the whole town has been laid to waste. Uh, the thing that struck me so much about that shot is uh, it, it happens very quickly in the movie, but I think that kind of serves also to indicate how quickly that happened in real life. Like, it, it may not have been, you know, a split second like it is in the movie, but it, it was there was a town and now there isn't. And it was over in what felt like an instant. And I'm sure that's how it felt for the people mm -hmm. there. Uh, so that one, I love, really, I love really how the bombings are portrayed in that as well, because they show how, which is historically accurate. They didn't just chuck, you know, exploding bombs. They chucked fire bombs specifically. Yeah, because incendiary they knew, devices. Incendiary device, because they knew houses yeah. in Japan were mainly built with wood. And that did even more damage than normal bombs would have. Uh, which is just brutal. Um, but yeah, I, I loved how that was portrayed. It was um, yeah, I also devastating, thought, but incredible. We've talked about it a lot, where we see the scenes where Seta is looking at himself and Setsuko. And it's interesting, because sometimes I feel like it's them as a spirit, and other times I feel like it's them at two different points in time. Because like, we see uh, Seta and Setsuko on the train uh, leaving to go live with their aunt, and then we also see in that same scene uh, Seta sitting by himself holding the box of his mother's ashes. Uh, mm -hmm. So obviously those two events didn't happen at the same time. Uh, uh, so that's why I feel like, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Sometimes they, they feel very much like spirits and other times it feels like, you know, two different occurrences in the same location. Point of order, I was actually confused by that moment where he's like there's him holding the ashes then like him watching himself holding the ashes on the train. I wasn't sure if that was like him looking at like an alternate timeline. I, I didn't know his mother was actually dead at that point. Yeah, mm. you did. Thought it was... either either his mother's dead or he is imagining that his mother is dead, and I couldn't tell which was the case. And it wasn't until it wasn't until he told his aunt, like I don't know, five or ten minutes later. Yeah, yeah, my mom died at the school. That I knew that was actually reality. Yeah, but so th those are the striking visuals for me uh, in in those scenes, and then the um, two other ones that were like just brilliant animation. Uh, were when they released the fireflies in the cave 
mm-hmm. in their bomb shelter home. Uh, I thought that was very beautiful visually, and it is interesting because it, it does provide a brief moment of levity uh, in this otherwise continuous downhill slog of despair. But, but what follows that? But then we find out what happens to the fireflies. The fireflies die quickly. They have a short lifespan, and that's yeah. why the quote I, I, I used at the beginning of the movie, why did the fireflies die so soon, uh, is yeah. the imagery of that is so powerful because that's exactly – these kids, why did these kids die so soon? Uh, mm-hmm. Man, it, it, it And that leads, to the, that leads to the titular grave of the fireflies yeah. where the next morning uh, Sasuka like, buries the fireflies. And there's a very, very striking image. Uh, as she's like scooping up the fireflies to put them in the grave, uh, Sade is watching her do this, and then there's immediate cut to um, them putting bodies, human bodies, into a mass grave, including their mother. That like as as Sasuke is like scooping up fireflies into a grave, he it cuts to hit their mother's body being thrown into a mass grave. Uh, yeah, to kind of you know underline the point for you. It's it's that I mean that is. Some of the best of the movie is in that brief, those few minutes. It's some of the most powerful it is for me. I agree. Uh, and th- that's also when we learn that uh, Sasuke knows their mother's dead because uh, yeah. Sage has been keeping that from her ostensibly, but turns out she knew all along. Yeah, she had figured it very out. Very sad. And that, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, her, their aunt had told her. And that's, yes. for me, one of the more, more powerful moments before we get to the actual deaths is I when yeah. when he for the first time finally shows emotion in front of her he he cries yeah, yeah. like he's yeah. been holding it in because he's still i think the movie mm-hmm. makes you forget in some ways that up until then that he's still a child as well and he has that moment where he just can't hold it in anymore and yeah devastating the, but honestly the the image that was the most impressive to me in terms of animation uh, is very brief, but uh, it's when Setsuko is running back and forth with the blanket tied around her uh, alongside the riverbed, and you get the reflection of her in, you know, in, in today's movies where they're being done on computer, they would just copy, do a mirror image, and, and mirror it in the water. But at this time, they're animating the reflection completely by hand. And so mm-hmm. that attention to detail in making the reflection completely match from top to bottom is just impressive to me from an animation perspective. Uh, but those, so those are some of my favorites. Uh, Hugo, you have some written down. What do you got? Uh, yeah. I think I mentioned some more powerful moments that we kind of, uh, mentioned already. Uh, but I mean, for, for me, for visuals specifically, it's Seta when he cremates his sister and we see him just sitting mm. there in front of the, the, the little fire and we see time passing and, and how, you know, obviously the sun going down and he's still sitting there i think that's the image that stuck with me maybe the most and there's also the final final image of the film where i think it's the final image but at some point basically we get the two spirits sitting on a bench almost at the very end and the camera pans up and where once was the burned down city is now modern day japan which i think was a beautiful image showing that you know despite how miserable and tragic the film is in some ways, at least the country of Japan was able to, to be reborn from its ashes, which I thought was, was beautiful, both in terms of messaging and, and in terms of imagery itself. Josh, did you have any you wanted to add? Movie sad. Movie sad. <laughs> uh, I already mentioned the, the, the bombs coming down made to look like fireflies, mm. which makes me think, 
you know, obviously the title is a reference to the titular grave of the Fireflies that Satsuko makes after the Fireflies that are let into their net, into their cave, die. But it also makes me wonder if, like, if it is a, if the animation is equating the bombs with Fireflies, if, it, if it's also, like, the graves created by Fireflies, right. grave of the Fireflies. Not, yeah. not only the, you know, grave for the Fireflies, but of the Fireflies, which... Uh, uh, of is a uh, a, a tricky uh, tricky word mm-hmm. that way. <laughs> Bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, so last thing I wanted to talk about before we get into our rankings is just about some of the characters themselves. I had some questions for you guys. Uh, the main character, Seta, uh, the question I have is uh, we've kind of already talked about was, is his sister's illness his fault at all? And uh, I personally felt like there, to some extent it is. Uh because, yeah. because he yeah. he could have made some other choices or tried some other things. Uh, and I'm, I'm left wondering why he doesn't do those things. Uh, what, what did you guys think? I, as I kind of alluded earlier, it's not a fatal flaw, but like a big flaw of the movie for me is the, the mechanisms that makes them leave their aunt's house. Because after their mother dies, they, they go to their aunt's house. They have roof over their head. They have food on the table. Not as much food as they deserve, but, like, they were surviving there. And he makes the choice to leave. Basically just because, like, she's kind of mean to them and doesn't give them as much food as they deserve. But, like, when the alternative is watching your sister die of malnutrition and then dying yourself, like, at what, what when, when she was sick and he takes her to the doctor and he tells her she needs a good meal and he tells him I, I, there's no way to get, nowhere to get food why don't you take her back to your aunt's house at that point? Yeah. You know, or, or multiple points before it gets as bad as it does. Um, I, I don't know to say it's his fault is, is tough, but I feel like there's different courses of action you could have taken that would have prevented her death. It's he had options. Yeah. For me, I kind of understand why he leaves because I can see how, you know, it is set up in the film that he was more of kind of a more of a privileged social status. Like he was used to, to kind of, living in a bit, having more amenities, I guess. Sure. And the aunt is kind of, it, 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 she is mean to him. And the other people in the family are out of the house the whole time because they're working for the state or whatever they're doing. But even they kind of say to her, oh, you're being too hard on these children. Um, and she asks him to contribute. And, and, and I think it is fair to ask him to contribute. But at the same time, I you know, if you're a 13 year old boy with your sister, you might not understand that. I, I kind of get that. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. the real moment is when she's sick and he chooses not to go back. That's the one that I'm, that I feel the movie is failing at uh, showing how that is, you know, a guilt that he feels. The fact that he dies relatively shortly afterwards doesn't allow the film to sit with that decision and i think as i mentioned before that's the one thing that i think kind of uh doesn't make this a five star but makes it a 4.5 star for I, I thought that uh there might be some cultural thing there where he while his dad is away he is the man of the house and so i think it's like you know he like, has feels that yeah. it's his responsibility to take care of his sister and if he can't like, do that that he's failing so like i understand his the mental reason why he's doing it but i also think yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's a I point where you have to say yeah there no, are a series I, of when the farmer tells him the farmer tells him yeah you know swallow your pride and, and go back. go back yeah 
And there's that's that, the moment where he, he should have done that. <laughs> there's the fact that he's so young. There's the fact that he doesn't understand the severity of the illness until it's too late. Like there, there are several contributing factors, but his pride and his unwillingness to go back is one of the contributing factors that leads, you know, to the death. So well, and I did he's feel partly at fault at least. When when the aunt asks him to contribute and tells him you know to work. You know, he says, the place I was working got blown up. There's nowhere for me to work. Like, mm. you know, I do wonder, like, she keeps telling him you have to contribute somehow, but she doesn't tell him how to contribute. And then also, uh, one thing I thought was very noticeable to me was while he's living with the ant, you never see the ant take care of them beyond serving them food. You don't mm. see her right, caring yeah. for... Uh, uh, Setsuko at all no no lessons being taught she's very cold yeah like w- when she's when she when she finds out that their mother died she was like oh that sucks write a letter Basically, to your dad like, <laughs> yeah yeah like it's 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 tough it's tough um and so like for that reason there i can also kind of see why he may question whether or not he could even go back uh but it, it is something that is not expressed clearly in the movie and, and i can see why that's uh, you know a drawback for for everyone um okay so setsuko herself i i mean for me and, and josh has already said this about his niece i i see my little three-year-old niece in in setsuko you know uh, inquisitive and playful and trusting and all those things that are you know staples of a child that age uh and it's devastating you know it's a it's it's extra painful that this child has to be used as the vessel for this emotional blow that mm-hmm. uh, the movie yeah. delivers. Uh, but it, it's, it is one of the things she makes it so powerful. Uh, and obviously I, I, I watched it dubbed. I usually watch movies dubbed, uh, you know, uh, I watched this dub too. Yeah. And it, uh, it was still very powerful dubbed. <laughs> uh, and Setsuko's performance was, you know, excellent for a, ch- a child. It's tough, man. I, I have a hard time with with children being in harm's way in films. Like, I that's the thing that gets me, uh, even more than like adults. Like when it's children, it's always it's tough. And uh, I think the film, the film, like the last twenty five minutes where you know it's going to happen, it's a continuous build up to it, and it's it's. Yeah, it's rough, and and the fact that right to the end she man- maintains like the sweetness that she's had throughout the whole film is is yeah, it's it's, it's sad. It's very sad. It's very sad. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Last two characters I want to touch on. Uh, we we talked a little bit about the ant, but one thing I wanted to mention about her was that eventually there was a live action adaptation of this uh, movie. Oh. It was uh, it was done in two thousand five. Uh, but what's interesting about that adaptation was that the central character was the aunt. Uh, hmm. The movie focused on her, and uh, the movie was more about a nice woman's descent into selfishness and cruelty as war weariness takes an emotional toll on her and her family. So, uh, hmm. it's I I'm kind of fascinated, and I, I kind of want to watch it. But I think that's very interesting, actually. Yeah, that sounds very very interesting because you see this aunt, and you know, in this movie. Uh, She's ice cold, you know, and even mm-hmm. at the beginning, she's yeah. very cold to begin with, but at least she's still serving them food. But then it's like, you know, you know, she becomes colder them food and, colder, yeah. and becomes colder and colder and making that the focus of the, the film, I think is very interesting. 
I but I'm curious if it will have the same emotional impact as having the story focus on the two children. Because uh, I, I do wonder, does she ever find out what happened to these kids? Okay, to me, the implication in this film was we don't even know if the aunt made it. We don't even know if her family made it. Like, it's so... The film, I think what what is one of the things that the film does so well is that it's so focused on these two children, that on these two kids, that everything else is left to your own... Like, you don't... We don't even see the faces of the other people who live with them, or we barely do. We see them sit down, and we mostly see their legs while they're eating. So it's like... Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. laser-focused on these two kids that it leaves you to imagine all the horrible things that might have gone on with everyone else, you know? And it... I think that works. I think the aunt is an antagonist only to the extent that you see it completely from the point of view of them. But... Yeah, obviously everyone is going through this war and her becoming such a hardliner for, oh, you have to contribute to the war effort or you're not even deserving of getting food is bad, but is is in the context of the war and the dictatorship and all that something that you might understand. Well, and I... I hated the ant. Like, you, like you're supposed... I mean, yeah, you're yeah, supposed she sucks. To, it, like, I'm not she saying... Sucks. <laughs> but, you know, when she takes the clothes, takes his mom's clothes and sells yeah. them. And then, you know, she gives them, here's your share. I'm already mm. suspicious that, that they're not getting their full share. But then you find out that uh, the the food that she is serving, like you know, even Setsuko says, you know, this is our rice anyways. And, you know, which means that you know they're aware that she's taken from them and is not giving them what mm-hmm. they're due. So then... You, with the rations, you know that they're being ra- food is being rationed. Are they even being given their full rations? Which, when I start to think about that, I start to more understand why Seta would think, "Look, we're better off on our own because if we're going to get rationed food anyways, we should yeah. make sure we're getting our full ration." But then, I think, wh- I think to some extent, at one point, he's also unwilling to separate himself from Setsuko because I do believe the aunt would take care of her much more than because i think the problem with the aunt is with him that he's yeah. not contributing but he's, he's so young lazy, you know. yeah that that i think she would take care of her she would be more willing but you know it's we'll interesting um and then the last one i had was the farmer uh mm-hmm. and i wanted to ask a question and hear me out on this is the farmer as bad as the aunt ultimately uh what do you mean the farmer at first, you know, lets him borrow the cart and and sells him some extra food and you know stuff like that and you know is helping him when he's moving into the cave. But then when he comes back and you know he's in dire straits, uh, the farmer says, "Yeah, I'm a farmer, but I don't have any food to spare." But you see him sitting in front of a whole crop. Yeah. And the, I'm sure that you know the, the farmer's reasoning is that this is food for everyone this is for the rest of people uh yeah. and so got to sell. i already know who this is going to or whatever yeah yeah and so he, he knows he's got to sell that to them uh and so like i understand that but he could have given him a little Maybe. bit of food <laughs> you know like there's there's a moment there where yes i i don't think it's necessarily that he's profiting off of everyone's need for food like the ant profited off of selling off you know, their stuff and eating their food. But is there a degree of, like, responsibility that the farmer also should have taken to say, look, yeah, I know, you know, 
I'm not supposed to, but this, these kids are dying in front of me. Should he have done something more? I think it's kind of like the whole point, right? About like societal's their societal response to war and desperation and taking care of each other or not taking care of each other, as the case may be. Um, it, it, whether or not he's worse than the ant, I think both the ant and farmer both like. That's why I'm so interested by the live action movie being from their, their her perspective because I think they both have a perspective that is defensible to some extent because they both they both probably know like that they're not far away from the desperation and, and starving to death that ultimately befalls Seda and, and Sasuko. Like they, they know that they're like a, a few bad days away from that themselves. So they are on guard to make sure they have what's theirs and they're provided for. Cause it's, it's a thin line, you know? Um, it, it, I think we see him as evil cause we're ultimately, this is told to the eyes of, of Seda, but um, you know, a story through the farmer's eyes would probably yield a different sympathy. Yeah. We, we don't know. We don't know what's going on with these other characters, and are they good? Are they bad? It, like I don't know. That to some extent, everybody's trying to survive in a situation of war. Um, it's just and... interesting to me. They they both like both the ant and the farmer start off better than they end up in terms of the the quality of their soul, right? But we don't. Uh, but we don't. We don't necessarily know. Though. Like we don't. I mean, yeah, know we don't... what happened. Like. We do know, I don't that know. Like, do you... the aunt let them go, like, you know, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, you know, but I just think the aunt was always cold and it's, it's just interesting because the farmer starts off as very helpful mm-hmm. and then ultimately becomes just as the aunt, just yeah. not a resource anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting how small the cast is really in this movie. Uh, yeah. Considering that it's about society and like and a failure of society to care for it, its people, I think uh, it's remarkable that it does so much with so little. Right, uh, which I just think is incredible. Yeah. Um, okay, so we can get into the, the rankings now. You know where we can yeah. talk about what do you, yeah. you know, what do you think about the movie ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and what it made you feel, and where are you going to put it on our lists? I think it's great. I think everybody should see this at least once. I think it's. Uh... There's some things, uh, and maybe reading into what happened to the author of the actual book, which is based on his own life, kind of coloured my opinion of some of the parts at the end of the film that I think could have been improved in, in other ways. But I still think it's just an excellent, one of the gr- the great animated movies, and, and I think an excellent portrayal of, of, of people being in dire straits during war in the context of war that is rare that we don't get things that are this visceral and this devastating so often because movies sometimes you know the people on schindler's list do make it as harrowing as that film is and so i think it's uh very impressive that it exists i think everyone should watch it um in terms of our list i will put it at number 19 so just below on my personal list just below ferris bueller's days off the thing and just above scream and boogie nights um i think this movie is very good and i think everyone should see it i agree with hugo if i'm being completely honest i i wonder if it was maybe a little oversold to me because it mm-hmm. is like on every list and it is it is very hyped as like a must see which which it is but i think i'm trying to figure out how to how to best say this i think that like as we talked about the animation isn't like super flashy and so it is more like the emotion the emotions of star and like a lot of very sad stuff happens and it 
you know, is very emotional and effective. But, like, I wonder if I told you this story without you actually seeing the movie, you would basically have a, the, the same experience, the same emotional experience. Where, like, it, you get what I'm saying? Like, the, the movie the movie delivering the story... It is more so the story is, than... Yeah, yeah, the story itself is, is what's effective, more so than the way it's told, I guess. Which isn't a huge deal but as you said hugo keeps it from being a five-star movie plus like a, a couple of things where like i i kind of question say decision making and and the end result but i still think it's great and uh everyone should see it uh and i i put it on my list lower than the two of you but i put it at 32 uh behind Ensemble D, which is another very devastating yes. movie and just ahead of my my cousin Vinny, which is not at all devastating not at all devastating. <laughs> <laughs> um no well so for me i you know Obviously, I picked this movie, and uh, I think very, very, very highly of it. Uh, so, of course, I'm going to rank it accordingly. But uh, for me, I think it's very powerful as a self-contained story, but also, as Hugo kind of mentioned, its uniqueness in terms of war movies. Uh, even in movies, like he said, with Schindler's List, we end on a high note. Most movies end on, there's a happy ending, and... While I, I do love happy endings, you know I love you know positive you know movies and things like that. Sometimes I need to get a big you know slap in the face with despair, and uh, yeah. war movies like, in general are so it's frequently... so real in the sense that sometimes there isn't a silver lining, right? And yeah. and and sometimes you need to be reminded of that. And war movies in general as a genre, there's almost always. Uh, either it's either very like yes this is awesome war is cool let's blow stuff up great or <laughs> it's like oh wow this is everyone's dying and it's so so terrible but the good guys win and that makes it awesome and in this one it, the movie is everything bad that can happen happens and it gets worse and worse and worse and nothing gets better and that's the way the world is sometimes and that's the and, end <laughs> and that's the end of the movie uh, and. I think that's incredibly powerful. And uh, so it means a lot to me. And on my personal list, I have it at number 14, uh, which is number just 14, which is just below Anda Dune and Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. And just above sound of metal and 127 hours, which means 32 for me, 19 for Hugo, 14 for Grizz. That averages out points-wise with our super-secret algorithm to be number 19 on the overall list. So right where Hugo puts it. Hugo wins. <laughs> 19. I win. It is just below uh, Boogie Nights, Munich, and Your Name. And then we have Grave of the Fireflies. It's just above Chinatown, Sound of Metal, and Scream. So, uh, okay. That's where it is. Uh, if I could uh, ask, what are we going to watch next week, Josh? Is it me? It is. It is. Shoot. I didn't, I'm, I'm so unprepared for this. Well, while you're picking, uh, why don't we get Italian Bane back to lighten up the mood? Go ahead, Hugo. <laughs> Please follow RTF underscore pod on Twitter. That's it. I don't know what else to say. Um... <laughs> Where can people find you, uh, Hugo, on, on the internet? <laughs> you can find me at Hugo underscore Pinai on Twitter. You can find me at Hugo Pinai on Letterboxd. Uh, you what can find me twitch.tv slash goodgamegrizz. Twitter is at Good Game Grizz, and uh, and I really would like some people to follow me on Letterboxd. I know I say that every week, but I think I'm really great on that. You guys uh, aren't giving me enough credit. It's your fault. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at the Sloop Josh B. Follow me on YouTube, Movies I Love and So Can You. 
Uh, my TikTok is getting bigger, but it's at Josh W. Bradley. So Josh is, go follow me Josh there. Josh getting so starting, big, he's going to leave I'm, us. Uh, that's untrue. Um, I'm look. I'm looking at my list for film to remembers options. And actually, my, the aforementioned Michael Clayton is very high on this list. But uh, because I've watched it so much recently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punt on that one. And I'm going to go with uh, a movie that's just above Michael Clayton on my FTR list. And that's Young Adults. Uh, mm. Young Adults. We recently talked a Jason Reitman movie with Thank You for Smoking. And I would love to watch another Jason Reitman movie. And Young Adult, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody, starring Charlize Theron and Patton Oswalt. A movie I really enjoy that's very underseen that I didn't see until maybe the last three or four years, and it's wonderful. So sounds good to me. Adult, young adult, good good palate cleanser, good yeah, palate yes, cleanser for being the fireflies. Thanks. I think we're gonna do like we're gonna do like yeah. six comedies in a row after this. <laughs> anyway, next week we're watching Come and See the nineteen eighty five. I mean, I do need to see that. Yeah, young adult, <laughs> you, you do, yeah. Young Adult's definitely comedy, but it's it's kind of barbed and kind of like <laughs> a mean-spirited comedy, kind of. But uh, it's good. So Looking I'm forward to it. it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for yeah. listening. If you haven't already, uh, you know, please uh, add us to your subscriptions for your podcasts. And uh, if you don't mind leaving some reviews uh, on whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, uh, that would certainly help us out. And uh, and tell your friends. Find a, find a movie buddy and, and tell them, hey, these three guys aren't the worst people I've ever listened to talk about movies. You should give them a shot. <laughs> thanks everyone put that on the poster not not the worst <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone have a good week bye see you guys